0: you're listening to audio from trinity west seattle for other resources more information about this sermon series or to connect with us visit our website www.trinityws.com my name's joan and i'll be reading from matthew 13 47 to 52 again the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out out of his treasure what is new and what is old. The word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Let's pause a moment uh, to pray. God, we uh, thank you this morning. We thank you that you are God who is with us, a God who speaks. To us through your word, and we ask that you would, by your spirit, allow these words to deeply uh, be sown into our hearts so we can grow as kingdom people. We ask, Lord, that um, you would bless us and call us closer to you, God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, we have um, warning systems everywhere that that signal to us something is wrong and that we need to take action of some kind. For example, we have uh, low gasoline lights in our cars, which turns on when the gas is low. But we're in Seattle, so electric battery, low levels or whatever, right? We have smoke detectors in our homes, which go off when something is burning on the stove or oven, causing smoke. Now, these warning systems tell us that we need to take action of some kind and if we don't, there will be dangerous consequences, right? Now, if you ignore the low gas or battery light on your car, and at some point, you will, the car will stop and you will be stranded on the road. If you don't heat the alarm of the smoke detector, your house will burn to the ground with everything in it. And these warning systems of a low gas light or smoke detectors, they, they give us time to respond and, and warn us of impending dangers so that we can do something to avoid danger and harm. And in the same way, Jesus, today, in our text, in the parable of the net, he warns us of this impending final judgment day that is coming where the good and the bad, or the righteous and the evil people, will be separated and the evil will be judged and cast into eternal suffering. Now, the consequences of not accepting Jesus' good news of the kingdom and rejecting his rule over our lives will be eternal punishment. And Jesus, he is gracious to alert us before the day of final judgment. And this warning found in the parable of the net may be the message that some of you need to hear so that you can come to faith and believe in Jesus. Now, as Jesus concludes his series on the parables about the kingdom of heaven with today's parable of the fishing net, We learn more about the kingdom that Jesus brought, and we will see more aspects of the kingdom of heaven. We will see, number one, that that the gospel of the kingdom casts a wide net. We'll also see the final judgment day, which is coming. And then lastly, we'll try to tie this in. Kingdom scribes treasure both the new and the old. Now, for several weeks now, we have been looking at a series of parables, a total of seven parables in, the, in chapter 13 of Matthew, which Jesus used to illustrate for us the nature of the kingdom of heaven. It shows us what the kingdom of heaven is like. And Jesus uses illustrations from everyday life to teach his followers a moral or spiritual lesson. We saw in previous weeks In the parable of the sower, when we hear and understand the good news of the kingdom, like a seed planted in the good soil of our hearts, the the kingdom grows in our hearts and it spreads out through our hands. We saw in the parable of the weeds, because the wheat and the weeds, they grow together almost indistinguishably, we must prepare for the harvest. We saw in the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven, where the kingdom of heaven seems so ordinary, like, like a small seed or yeast, but it produces extraordinary realities. Last week, we saw the parable of the, of the hidden treasure and, and the parable of the pearl of great price. And we saw that the kingdom of heaven will cost us everything, but it's worth all that we have. Now, these parables seem easy to understand and even accessible to Jesus' audience who experienced the daily illustrations that Jesus used of, of farming, of fishing, of baking, finding valuable treasures to show what the kingdom of heaven is like. The teachings of the parables seem simple to understand, but the truths of these parables describing the kingdom were meant to be revealed only to those seeking to be disciples of Jesus who receive the kingdom that Jesus was bringing. The purpose of the parables was meant to help mature and develop kingdom people. While Jesus revealed more about the kingdom to his followers, the true meaning of these parables remained hidden and concealed to those who were proud and unrepentant. People who refused to accept Jesus' message of the kingdom and those who rejected Jesus' authority as the king of this new kingdom were unable to comprehend these parables. In fact, they were blind to the messages found in these parables. But what more do we need to know about Jesus' kingdom? And how are we to respond to the good news of the kingdom? Well, in this final parable, Jesus uses a fishing illustration with a net to show us that the gospel of the kingdom casts a wide net. Look at verse 47 with me. Again, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind the fishing net jesus was talking about was this large net probably with some floats on the top edge and weights on the bottom Jesus' disciples like peter james and john who were fishermen would have been very familiar with what jesus was talking about in this fishing net which was their tool of their trade And fishing nets were cast into the lake. And then when the nets were full, the the fishermen would drag the net full of fish up to the shore. The fishing net Jesus is talking about in this parable seems to be the good news of the kingdom that is proclaimed, which casts a wide net inviting many people. We have seen throughout the book of Matthew that the gospel of the kingdom is primarily a message, a good news message to be proclaimed widely, that the long-awaited King and Messiah, not just for the Jewish people, but for all humanity and for all times has finally arrived to establish His kingly reign and to bring true freedom from our sin's enslavement and release us from death's grip. The good news of the kingdom was that the true And eternal king has come to establish his kingdom over his people, over all creation, and to restore all that was broken and ruined by sin. The gospel of the kingdom and the authority of King Jesus were powerfully demonstrated by Jesus as he cast out demons and healed the sick, among many other miracles. Spoiler alert. At the end of the book of Matthew, Jesus, he fulfills his mission by dying on the cross in our place and victoriously rising from the dead, thereby overturning death and defeating Satan. This powerful message of salvation, Jesus' work of restoration and renewal of all things, which started with Jesus' life death, and resurrection. It continued on with his disciples and ultimately this gospel message spread all over the world across cultures and nations and languages. The gospel of the kingdom has been proclaimed with a wide net across the globe through faithful missionaries and this good news of Jesus's kingdom has been advancing for over 2,000 years and we are So thankful for this. Now, in a study that was done in 2022 by the Center for the Study of Global Christianity at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary in Boston, they published the findings uh, on the status of global Christianity looking at trends from 1900 projected into 2050. And here are some encouraging highlights of that study. Christianity continues to grow and spread globally. There are almost 2.65 billion people who identify as Christians, and by 2050, the number is expected to top 3.33 billion people. Now, most of Christianity's growth is happening outside of the West, especially in Africa. Africa has more Christians than any other continent. It is projected by by 2050, Africa will be home to almost 1.3 billion Christians. Also in Latin America, 660 million Christians. Now, while the report of Christianity's global growth and spread is encouraging in many ways, there is something sobering about Jesus' parable of the net catching fish of every kind, including good and bad fish, or or righteous and evil people, according to Jesus. Now, if the net is the gospel of the kingdom proclaimed to many people, what Jesus is saying is that the universal church, which is over 2.5 billion people today, has within it genuine disciples of Jesus and false disciples of Jesus in our churches everywhere across the world. Now, the nature of the kingdom of heaven in this church age today is such that the good and bad fish live together. Now, if you remember the parable of the weeds, Jesus allows the weeds to grow with the wheat, and they look almost indistinguishable. Now, I, I don't know about you, but this is a bit troubling for me to accept. Why does God, why does God wait until Judgment Day to separate wheat from the weeds, Or in our parable today, the good from the bad fish? Why doesn't God immediately separate the true disciples from those who will ultimately reject Jesus? Why wait? I wonder if God who allows for the mixed group within our churches is God displaying His grace and patience with those who look and act like disciples of Jesus by by giving this group more time and opportunities to consider and count the cost of genuine discipleship. The caution And warning Jesus raises for us is that many people will be caught up in the net of the gospel of the kingdom because it casts a wide net. And people respond positively initially to Jesus' teaching and seemingly appear to look like disciples of Jesus. Being a true disciple of Jesus does not mean merely hanging out with Christians, acting and speaking like Christians, and and doing good works of Christian charity. Instead, the gospel of the kingdom calls everyone who hears the good news to repent of their sin, to to give up their life of self-sufficiency, and to surrender all of their allegiance to King Jesus. Have you fully given yourself to Jesus and committed yourself as a servant of Jesus' kingdom? Do you trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior and King? If you haven't, would you consider Jesus and His call to follow Him today because His invitation to you is open right now, no matter what condition your life is in? Today is a day of salvation. Now, as much as we would like to know with certainty who the good and fat, the bad fish are, only God knows and only he can make that judgment, which he will do at the end of the age, which takes us to our second point. Look at verse 48. When it was full, that is the net, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So we will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What was a very common scene during Jesus' day were fishermen on the beach sorting the day's catch, keeping the good fish and throwing away the bad ones. And unsurprisingly, the, the fishing net, there would be all kinds of fish that were, that were caught up. And a judgment needed to be made about which fish they would keep, that were good, and those that were bad, they would throw away. And when we talk about judgment, right, it means to separate. In fact, in the Hebrew, to judge means to discriminate, to make distinctions. In the Greek, to judge means literally to divide, meaning a thorough and eternal separation you know much like the fishermen in the parable who separate the good fish from the bad we quote-unquote judge too you know my seven-year-old daughter she judges a bag of trail mix all the time we often find a bag of trail mix missing all the chocolate pieces and what's left are the raisins and nuts She has separated the good pieces from the bad pieces, and all the good ones have entered her mouth. So who gets to make that ultimate judgment on the final day? The Bible says that only God is able to judge justly, righteously, and perfectly in separating the righteous from the evil. Only God is able to distinguish true disciples from false disciples at the end of the age. And at the final day of judgment, God will send his messengers, his angels, to separate the evil from the righteous people and cast the evil people into the fiery furnace, a place where there will be eternal punishment. Now we all recognize the consequences of breaking the law when we get caught and we don't like it if we're honest, yet we realize that it is just to punish the guilty to whatever degree you think is justice using your subjective standards, of course. But there is a judgment day that is coming that is based on God's perfect standard of justice where the ultimate and final judgment will be rendered without the possibility of a reversal of that judgment. Once the curtain of time and history as we know it closes at the final judgment day by God and His angels separate the evil and the righteous, it will be a thorough and permanent judgment. On that terrible day, there will be no do-overs, No takebacks, no mulligans for the choice that we have made to reject the good news of Jesus' offer of a new life with Him. This one life given to us by God as a gift cannot be relived. You see, the Christian faith and the Bible does not believe in reincarnation where we are reborn again and again and again into a better station in life. If we lived a a noble life or reincarnate as as a bug if we lived a wicked life. See, another lie about the final judgment day is that that day will never come. Because why? The the God of the Bible is a God of love. We, We tell ourselves that we don't have to change. We can keep living the life that we want to live under our own terms, that we don't have to give up our freedoms to God. The lie of Satan always twists, and perverts Jesus' teaching on the final judgment, which in contrast to the lies, the final judgment is actually eminent. It's comprehensive and final. God's final judgment executed by angels in separating the righteous from the evil, where the evil are cast into eternal punishment, this was something Jesus talked about more often than he talked about heaven, actually. And this should awaken us, kind of like smelling salt. Jesus doesn't just refer to hell here and there, but he describes hell in great detail throughout the Gospels as a place of eternal torment, unquenchable fire, a place where the worm does not die, where people will gnash their teeth in anguish and regret, and a place of outer darkness. Friends, you do not want to go to this place of eternal torment and punishment. Jesus is showing his grace to us by by warning us today, telling us that there is a final judgment day coming. So Jesus is sounding warning signals through this parable for those who have refused thus far to surrender their lives to King Jesus And the warning signals are born out of love and care for us. Don't wait until it is too late to come under the loving rule of Jesus and his kingdom because, as we have seen, Jesus has made it clear that on that final judgment day, which is coming, it will come surely as the sun rises from the east. Jesus' teaching on the judgment and hell may be difficult to accept. It is hard to accept. In Francis Chan, he reminds us of how we should approach this very hard reality of hell. In his book, Erasing Hell, he writes this, Nothing outside of God and His truth should, should be sacred to us, and so it is with hell. If hell is some primitive myth left over from conservative tradition, then let's set it on that dusty shelf next to other traditional beliefs that have no basis in Scripture. But if it is true, if the Bible does teach that there is a literal hell awaiting those who don't believe in Jesus, then this reality must change us. It should certainly purge our souls of all complacency. There is something sobering about God's judgment on the final day the permanence, the irreversible nature of the separation that God's angels will execute among all people, separating the righteous from the evil, this is sobering indeed. And what's more, on this final day of judgment, the opportunity to repent from our sin and to believe in Jesus will not be available to you. Have you ever been late to catching a a flight you you run to the gate as fast as you can and you realize that it's too late once the door of the plane is closed and locked you cannot enter that flight no airline will reopen and bring the the plane back and the final judgment in the separation that god's angels will execute is like the door closing on a missed flight to never return The separation from God and his goodness on that day will be final, complete, and permanent. Is there anyone in here who has one foot in the church and the other foot in a hidden life of rebellion and unconfessed sin? Well, Jesus is calling you today to repent to turn away, to turn away from your sin and rebellion and fully commit your life and heart to Jesus. And for those of you who have committed to follow Jesus and represent Jesus' kingdom, Jesus, he asks this question of his disciples, have you understood all these things in verse And then he challenges his disciples to treasure the old and the new revelation about Jesus and his kingdom, which takes us to our last point. After Jesus, he illustrated the simple yet profound nature of the kingdom of heaven through these parables. He asked his disciples, have you understood all these things? all of these profound mysteries about the kingdom of heaven, do you understand all that I have taught you? To which his disciples answered, yes. Now, even though the disciples had many, many gaps in their understanding about Jesus' kingdom of heaven at that time, Jesus, he doesn't second-guess them or, or test them about their knowledge, but instead, Jesus concludes this section of his of his teachings on the parables by calling on all disciples to be like scribes who who treasure the new and the old revelation of God because at the center of that revelation is Jesus and his kingdom. Does being a scribe appeal to any of you here? Raise your hand if your dream job is to be a scribe of the kingdom. We probably well maybe one okay <laughs> we probably never thought about what this may mean well scribes in judaism were scholars they were teachers of god's law they were trained in the interpretation of the torah they were to preserve the law of god to study it meticulously make copies of it and to apply all of its teaching into daily life and yet In Jesus' day, many scribes, some of them who were also Pharisees, created man-made interpretations of God's law and traditions which burdened many people of God and caused them to remain far from God. Do you remember the section in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus repeats the phrase, You have heard it said. Well, whenever he used this phrase which he did often, Jesus actually was correcting the scribes' misinterpretation of God's law and showing that Jesus and his kingdom doesn't just call people to right behavior, but a new kind of kingdom living which fulfills the heart of God's law. For example, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 22, he says this, You have heard that it was said of those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus takes one of the Ten Commandments about murder, and he shows us that it is not enough just to say, well, I haven't killed anybody. I'm in the clear. I've obeyed the law of God. Jesus corrects this superficial interpretation of the law by the scribes to include one's heart attitude. You may have never physically killed someone, but if you assassinate someone in your heart and you call them a fool, you have committed the sin of murder and you will be liable to the hell of fire, Jesus says. How many of us are guilty of this sin? Many more of us have committed murder in our hearts than physical murder, and and we have all broken God's law. So Jesus' teaching does not abolish the law of God, but in fact fulfills the heart behind the law perfectly. Jesus is calling on his disciples to be a, a new kind of scribe who was unlike the scribes of his day. Jesus says in verse 52, which can be translated... Therefore, every scribe who becomes a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a master of the house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. You see, this new kind of kingdom scribe Jesus is talking about is a disciple of Jesus who, who, who is a lifelong learner, applying the whole Bible to their life. It's someone who is attentive to Jesus' teaching and committed to living out kingdom values. In other words, the kingdom, this new kingdom scribe sees the value of the new things Jesus brought in the ushering of the kingdom of God while connecting the old things which pointed to the coming of the king and the Messiah in the Old Testament. The Gospel of Matthew was written to a Jewish audience, we know, who needed to see the connection of the new to the old, where all the anticipation of God's kingdom coming, which they had been waiting for for hundreds of years, was actually fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, who at first appeared to be nothing more than a carpenter's son. The kingdom of heaven was not one of political power and freedom like they thought but a kingdom of power over Satan, a power that restores all things that were infected by sin, where we could experience the abundant life that was not defined by worldly accomplishments and wealth and status, but truly abundant life where streams of water is overflowing bountifully within our hearts because Jesus takes residence in our hearts and he brings his kingdom over our lives. The new things of the gospel of the kingdom Jesus brought were actually all foreshadowed in the old things of the Old Testament. There are old things that we continue in a new way because Jesus is teaching, and there are some other things that we discontinue because Jesus fulfilled Old Testament requirements. For example, today... We don't have to physically be circumcised to be identified as God's people. Amen? 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 That would be an odd requirement, right, to be part of the church. And the early church painstakingly worked this out. See, the gospel says that you have to instead be circumcised in the heart and cleansed from sin to be marked as God's people. Here's another example. We no longer are defiled and unclean when we eat bacon. Amen? Amen, Amen. yes. Because it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it's what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person, Jesus says. Also, we no longer have to make animal sacrifices for our sin. Why? Because Jesus offered himself as the sinless Lamb lamb of God once and for all. So, these are some of the examples, the intersection of where we see the, the new and the old that Jesus is referring to. Now, you may never become a Greek or Hebrew scholar of the Bible, but disciples of Jesus are actually all called to be this new kind of scribe, according to this passage, who, who studies God's word, who worships King Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament Scriptures and actively participates as kingdom people in the New Testament age where we live out kingdom values. Jesus is is encouraging each of us to continue to seek out Him in the Old Testament Scriptures as well as the New Testament Scriptures and ask the Spirit of God to speak to us as we learn to cherish the treasure of God's Word and ask the Spirit to help us to apply these truths in our lives as disciples of Jesus' kingdom. And the more that we look into the Scriptures of the Old and the New Testament, our heart's disposition will be to worship Him and to love Jesus by doing what He commands, all by His strength and all for the glory of god amen this week i want you to consider as you consider this passage some reflection questions how should you respond to god's eminent and permanent judgment on the last day when god will separate the evil from the righteous and the second reflection question is how are you growing as a disciple of the kingdom who treasures both the new and the old testament let us pray God, we thank you that you reveal yourself to us and you open our eyes when our hearts humbly submit and come before you. Lord, you are our king. You are our Lord. You have made it clear that there is a judgment day coming and you have, you're sounding the alarm for some of us and for others lord we are struggling because sin is has a grip on us lord we come to you now asking that you work in our hearts that we would look to you our powerful savior the redeemer the one who has come to restore all things god you, you call us into a deeper fellowship with you as you want us to consider with our hearts and our minds and our studies and our meditations on, on how you are the fulfillment of all that, were, that was prophesied in the Old Testament, God. And we want, our turn, we want to turn our hearts now to worship you, Lord Jesus. Would you reign and rule in our hearts right now? In Jesus' name, amen.
0: You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.